Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Defining Truth Podcast. I'm Josiah O'Neill here with co-host Brandon Jones. Uh, what episode are we on now? 16? I think. Uh, I think so. So many wonderful episodes. If you haven't listened to them all, obviously, that's what you should do this weekend. Start at the beginning. Make yourself some popcorn and go through it. Uh, we have uh, very interesting topics to cover today. But first... We are with Defining Truth. We are a nonprofit organization and we need your help. Please consider supporting us financially. A monthly gift is how we set it up on the website. Literally for the price of what you'd spend at uh, Starbucks, you could help uh, push this organization forward and continue to support traditional conservative Christian Judaic values in culture and civics. Um, we really would appreciate that. And it helps us get everything done because no one here is paid and uh, we got to pay for all kinds of things like operations, production, etc. Um, also, if you're on social media, uh, give us a follow, subscribe and share. We're on Instagram under defining truth. Of course, we post all of our shows up on YouTube. If you want to watch us and the podcasts are on everywhere that streams podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. So give us a follow defining truth. And tell everyone you know that they just absolutely have to listen to the Defining Truth podcast. All right, Brandon, what do we got today? Uh, so we're going to discuss a couple topics. Uh, first off, the Republican debate um, and the uh, elephant, quote, not in the room, Donald Trump, who did a debate <laughs> or uh, had a discussion rather with Tucker Carlson on X, formerly known as Twitter. A uh, political article that came out of against our friend Bill Assaley. Uh, Santa Clara County is suing Calvary Chapel for uh, hosting mm. uh, sermons during COVID. Yeah, basically. The, the Temecula Valley Unified School Board's victory with the parental notification uh, we attended personally, and so we're going to talk about that. And then, of course, uh, the 999 millionth indictment of <laughs> President Trump, uh, whose mugshot should be coming here shortly. Here we go again. Yep. Yeah, I know. He's going in today to turn himself in, right? Yeah, actually in about two and a half hours from the time of this recording. And if you guys follow us online, uh, our platforms, we'll, we'll cover that as it develops as well. Uh, so let's start off with the Republican debate. Uh, there was eight contenders for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination that yep. were uh, uh, fighting over or jockeying for voters' attention on Wednesday. That's last night as of this recording. Uh, while the frontrunner, Donald Trump, was... Uh, decided not to go to the event. There's a couple uh, uh, takeaways, I think, from, from this first debate. First of all, there was no breakout moment for DeSantis. Uh, he was center stage at the event due to his standing in the poll, but uh, he really missed an opportunity to uh, portray why he thinks he's better, uh, the better alternative to Trump. Uh, additionally, the new kid in town, Vivek, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, so we're just going to go with Vivek. Uh, Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy, I think. Yeah, spent the night defending uh, what others were calling his, quote, lack of experience by uh, countering offensively against uh, candidates like Haley, Pence, and Christie, calling them, uh, quote, bought and paid for, and uh, <clears throat> that they're offering, quote, memorized uh, prepaid slogans. And he threw a dig at DeSantis, calling him a professional politician and a super PAC puppet. <laughs> uh, like we said, the, the elephant not in the room uh, President Trump skipped the debate for a pre-recorded interview with conservative broadcaster uh, Tucker Carlson, posted on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, 
it looks like his absence from the stage gave the debate uh, the feel of an undercard in boxing uh, with the winner seeking a shot at the champ. And then there was angst over abortion. There was really weak, uh, I think, really weak answers from each candidate, uh, exclu- uh, excluding Pence, who's very solid on the pro-life issue. Uh, but just really quick, uh, Nikki Haley said, can't we all agree that we're not going to put women in jail and give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? Let's treat it like a respectful issue that is uh, that it is and humanize the situation. Just kind of weak. Who uh, said that? That was Nikki Haley. In the context, uh, you know, she's like, I'm pro-abortion, but she didn't uh, – she didn't really want to want to stick to like. Let me let me be clear on this. Whatever. You said Nikki Haley said she was pro-abortion. Sorry, cut that. Okay. Nikki Haley said that she was pro-life. Adamantly, pro-life. Adamantly pro-life. Okay. Uh, I think her her response was weak, um, based off what she said. Yeah, she's doing the consultant dance that we, we yeah. see that everywhere. Uh, DeSantis was pressed on his support for Florida's uh, six-week abortion ban, <clears> which he did sign into law. Um, asked if he would support a six-week federal ban, uh, he was a little evasive, suggesting that the issue would be left to the states, but also saying he would support, quote, the cause of life. Pence accused, then accused Haley, Nikki Haley, of being too soft on the issue. Quote, consensus is the opposite of leadership, he told her. Uh, quote, it's not a states-only issue, it's a moral issue. And that's where, I know me, and I can speak for you too, that's, that's where we stand on it. It's really a moral issue. You can get down to the political debate about, you know, should it be six weeks or 15 weeks? Yeah. But really it comes down to, are, are you killing a, a human or are you not? And do you support that or do you not? Well, as you know, we discussed even this week here in California, the Republican Party is dancing around with redefining, uh, as some people involved may know, the platform. You know, they're, they're changing the wording on the definition between a man and a woman and also on their pro-life stance. And uh, it's just a total waste of time because, as we've seen recently, people respond to strong stances and beliefs, not being the lukewarm, I don't know what you want me to say type messaging. It's a total waste of time. Uh, do we do we have a clip from the debates? Yeah, so we have a we have a couple highlights that we're going to show from the debate, and then uh, we're going to show two clips from the Tucker Carlson and Trump uh, conversation. Nice. So if you guys are listening, or uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see uh, the debate clips here. This compilation. If you're listening, just uh, listen in. We'll we'll comment as it goes along. <clears throat> Our country is in decline. This decline is not inevitable. It's a choice. We need to send Joe Biden back to his basement and reverse American decline. You all signed a pledge to support the eventual Republican nominee. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. Okay. Yeah, so everybody eventually uh, raised their hand except for Asa Hutchinson. But man, Vivek's hand just flew lots, up. Lots of clips are circulating on social media about this right now. This was a absolute defining moment for Ron DeSantis, which I think just ended his entire hopes of ever being president. Uh, if you zoom in on the middle between Vivek and Ron, Ron reminds me of um, like your, your four-year-old the first day at kindergarten when the teacher asks them to do something and they're looking around like, like is everybody else going to do are it? We, are we supposed to do this now? What am I supposed to do? You know, or like a kid at a spelling bee. 
Vivek, obviously, immediately, he knows where he stands on it, raises his hands. Uh, DeSantis looks around, looks over at Pence, looks down the line towards Vivek and Nikki Haley, and then, like, at the last minute, it's like, oh, I guess I should raise my hand. And even then, it looks like he's uh, swearing in at the courthouse. He's, it's, like, kind of down here by his shoulder. The, the body language here was, was horrible. And, and we've said this before, and I'll say it again. DeSantis totally sunk his entire campaign uh, from the beginning by seemingly attacking Trump and his supporters without realizing that those are anyone that would support him as well. Like, it's, it's your people, dude. <laughs> I, like, Trump supporters are people that, that uh, supported DeSantis before he decided to run against yeah, him. Politically, it was really a mistake for him to run this cycle. I don't... I don't I don't think that he would be a bad president it was in the future. Terrible advice. Uh, Who, who's telling him this? You know, I mean, I, I know it was whatever the national consultant firms are, but I mean, gosh, man, vet your consultants. I mean, whoever is telling him what to say it, from the beginning, even deciding to run was just, just one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in politics. I mean, you took a guy, basically Trump made DeSantis. He, he gets him all this support, yeah, which he put an ad, ad out nationally about how he made DeSantis. Well, a nail in the coffin for him last week. Uh, we didn't talk about this previously, but remember recently DeSantis made a comment that was very similar to Hillary's deplorable moment when he said that Trump supporters were, and I quote, listless vessels, um, extremely offensive to call people a bunch of empty jars. And, you know, how, how do you not have the wherewithal and the understanding to realize that you're talking about your, your own supporters or, or maybe, or they were at least, um, epic. And, and this right here on national television, though it didn't get anywhere near the viewings that, uh, Tucker got on X platform talking to Trump is just brutal. Um, and, and we can move on in a second, but if you get a chance, go out and look at these clips on social media, maybe we'll put one together too. It just makes him look so foolish. Um, He's done. Anyways, let's keep listening. I mean, look, Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring yes, in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. Do you believe in human behavior is causing climate change raise your hand if you do look, look we're not school children let's have the debate i mean i'm happy to take it to start <laughs> alexander <laughs> as somebody that's handled disasters in florida you got to be activated you've got to be there you've got to be present i, I had that. enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like <laughs> chat gpt standing up here this is exactly why margaret thatcher said if you want something said ask a yeah, man if you want something done ask a woman can't we have a minimum standard in every state in the nation that says when a baby is capable of feeling pain, an abortion cannot be allowed? Don't make women feel like they have to decide on this issue when you know we don't have 60 Senate votes in the House. Seventy percent of the American people support legislation but to ban abortion of the after Senate a baby is capable not. of experiencing okay. pain. You know, Governor, Nikki, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on but the, board the fact of, of the matter, and Raytheon, and you know, you Boeing came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. You've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want to go and defund Israel? You want to get on the 
that. I'm glad you, you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is you have no Let foreign me. policy experience and it shows and you know what the, the, the most pressing need of the american people from a national security standpoint is our southern border it has led to the death of 70,000 americans because of fentanyl just- when after 9-11 we had the global war on terror and guess what we protected the border at the same time. You can do both. But the American people deserve to know that the president asked me in his request that I reject or return votes unilaterally, power that no vice president in American history had ever exercised or taken. Uh, he asked me to put him over the Constitution. And uh, I chose the Constitution, and I always would. Um, interesting. Babylon B probably had the most accurate uh, comment on this debate. And he said that uh, members of the GOP gather to decide who will lose to Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really what it was. Not none of those people really have any business being yeah, up Trump, there. Trump's going to he'll be the primary, obviously. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not even a debate. That's why he didn't go. He didn't need to, you know, um, while they're all arguing with each other. I mean, Vivek did a pretty good job um, because I think he most rationally related to the voters and the sentiment in the country. He's yeah. doing what is expected from someone who's not a career politician. And, you know, we, we see this out here in local politics as well, that some of these folks who've spent way too long in the government, they start to sound like consultants. Uh, it's regurgitated messaging over and over and over again. And they're out of touch with the average American citizen. Um, Vivek in true form showing that he didn't come from the political world doesn't really sound like one. And people relate to that. It's the same reason they related to Donald Trump when he ran in 2016. Um, his comments were spot on. And, you know, when you're talking about a country that's very, very divided right now, and basically, I mean, let's just call it what it is. Half the country supported Donald Trump and half the country didn't actually, I I would argue that more than half supported Donald Trump. He had millions and millions of votes. Um, and what the Democrats are doing to him is, 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 I mean, we're going to get to that later, but it is unbelievable how they're acting like a communist regime and arresting their political opponents because they don't agree with the results of the election. And I felt like Vivek acknowledged that when he said, you know, that president Trump, it wasn't in that clip, but during the debate, he said, Donald Trump was the greatest president of the 21st century. Um, that's not so much a comment on Trump as a person as it is on his policies and what he did to represent the American people. And, and that's what the GOP writ large is missing. They're missing the point. It's never been about Donald Trump as an individual. It's about his role and what he did as president. Well, and he says that too, in his interview with Tucker at some point, he goes, you know, these people, maybe not all of them like me, right? but they voted for me because they liked my policies. So he acknowledges the fact that there's people that, you know, don't think that he's the best guy personally, but the guy got results. I mean, you can't argue with that. Absolutely. Look, Donald Trump is not a referendum on the GOP. It's a referendum on the failures of the Democrats. That's what resulted from their egregious push towards progressive Marxism. And so if it's not Donald Trump, it'll be somebody else. And it will. Obviously, none of us live forever. This election will come and go. And 
as uh, Tucker points out in a clip that we'll, I think we'll see later on, things are just escalating, escalating more and more and more. And like, what's the end result here? I mean, well, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll go into the Trump indictment here at the end, but um, I think the debate was, I don't know. I watched Tucker first. We Fox news has not released the data on how many people viewed the debate last night. I know in 2016, their quote unquote record breaking numbers was around 16 million. And uh, by comparison over, um, that was probably for the debate against Joe Biden. This, this right. GOP primary debate probably got a lot less. I think I saw somewhere 4 million, but don't quote me. Yeah, I, I don't know. But we, we, we do have numbers from X and how many people watched Tucker talking with Donald Trump. And as of today, uh, they have 154.7 million views. So, I mean, if that doesn't tell you what people want to know and what they care about, I don't know what will. Um, yeah, the debate was, uh, was interesting, I guess. I mean, I wasn't that impressed. As is the case with every presidential election, most of those people will not be around, you know, over the next year <clears throat> coming up to the election. But it'll be really interesting to see who ends up as um, cabinet members or, you know, I— I'm thinking Vivek as vice president. I mean, I can't be the only one thinking that. Um, yeah, I think he's he has always supported Trump from the very beginning. Uh, he's got to be vying for for either vice president or some high level cabinet position. Well, and I've never I've never heard him say one negative thing. No, he said he would pardon. Actually, he said he Trump. would pardon Trump on day one if Trump were to be, uh, you know, convicted. So. He, he, he's pretty pro-Trump. I'm not sure why he's running for president other than maybe he thinks that Trump uh, won't have the opportunity to. I, I don't know. but uh, Well, listen, I'm, I'm all for fair in elections. I think anybody should be able to run if they want to. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. just um, – I, I, it's getting harder and harder if you're a lifelong politician from Washington to run because you have so much baggage. And people – the people of America are sick of politicians. Okay, they, they've, We've been sick for a long time. And – his appeal is that exact is exactly that, that he's not a professional politician. Yeah. So, you know, last night you see him like surging, right? People liked what he said. They like his, uh, what appears to be humility in the way that he talks about other people. He's clearly in touch with the base. Yeah. He had the most, he had the highest number of Google searches out of each candidate. So people, you know, probably yeah. didn't know who he was before then, but we're looking into him. The bottom line is most of those people have no business being up there. Guys like Chris Christie, he's there simply because he just hates what Trump. He's doing. Yeah. He absolutely hates Trump. And Vivek called him out on that. Uh, they got into a little tit for tat when, when uh, Chris Christie called Vivek, you know, he was trying to be like another Obama, he said, and he was like, well, why don't you come over and give me a hug like you did Obama and you can help me win this election. <laughs> uh, and then Asa Hutchinson is just, you know, he's, popular 20 years ago and he just kind of is there uh i was well, ace is very open about his dislike for trump he's very outspoken yeah i'm not sure who he's appealing to or who his base is but, no he uh, was like a bush era cabinet member who, mm -hmm. who doesn't really bring anything to the table anymore i think he should just go play golf and sit by his teeth but <sighs> savage it's brandon jones everybody <laughs> Savage advice with yeah, Brandon. Just saying. And then there's a North Dakota governor. He was kind of interesting. I saw somebody say that uh, it was irresponsible of him for uh, playing basketball before the debate. And I was just like, come on. I've never heard of that guy. I don't know where, who he is. Or... I mean, he's the governor of North Dakota. He, he doesn't have a lot going on. He's not going to be president, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. um, I will say uh, the first time I ever heard of Vivek was uh, on his interview with Ben Shapiro, Daily Wire yeah. Plus. If you have that, you should go watch it. It's really interesting. And, um, He's a smart guy. 
Seems to be. So uh, we'll see, he made we'll a lot of money. Goes. I mean, clearly he, uh, you know, he's a first generation American. So. Well, and he's obviously been planning this for a while because in the interview with Ben Shapiro, he talks about how later in life he took a leave of absence from his CEO position and put himself through law school, mm-hmm. which yeah. is uh, which is smart, and I'm, I'm assuming with the intention of running for office. Yeah, that was the big thing that they kept attacking him for. He's young. He's only 38. You know, you have to be 35 to run for president. So? That, that does not matter to me in the slightest. That's why you build a cabinet and you get people around you. And, you know, you're basically the CEO of the country. And clearly he's proven himself, just like Trump did, to be successful at leading people and putting good people around you. Um, obviously, Trump made some mistakes, which he admitted uh, about the people that he put around him the, the first presidency. But overall... Uh, he did a pretty good job. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. The that, next that, debate is next month. Uh, that, that whole argument um, about age and uh, it is just, um, it doesn't appeal to people. I mean, what do they, what do they expect? They want you to wait till you're 87. Well, then you get guys like Joe Biden who are walking around. He literally is just like a lost dog. He just, did you see the video of him coming out of the gym today? He said he worked out for an hour and a half. I highly doubt that. I mean, unless sitting in a chair is working out, there's no way that guy works out for an hour and a half. No, I mean, look, let's, let's look back. I, I, was, I was just looking up some stats on people. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, at the height of all the stuff going on here in the United States, 21 years old. Betsy Ross, 24 years old. Um, most of these guys were young. George Washington himself, at the height of the revolution, was 44 So So what, what are they, you know, and, and Washington, by the way, great example of age and talent, um, his, I actually, I have a copy of his diary he kept as a 15 year old when he began, uh, surveying, he was a land surveyor in Virginia. Phenomenal. He was 22 in his first conflict during the French and Indian war. It, you know, it's not so much how old you are, but what you've done with the time that you've had, right? That's what matters. Cause I've met some 70 year old babies mm-hmm. who, who age doesn't necessarily mean the, the question is what have you done with the time that you've been given? Yeah. Have you grown? Are you wise? Are you discerning? Have you made proper decisions? And of course, the most important thing is what do you hold as your worldview? What do you value? Because, you know, it's not hard to go into a particular position, especially as a bureaucrat, where you are surrounded by professionals and find wise, intelligent, smart people to guide you. You know, even the, the Bible says there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And I've always tried to abide by that in that you don't particularly have to be the smartest guy in the room, but maybe the humblest is what's more important. And if you can bring the right people around you, you can do the job. So, I mean, and, and all that to say, Bevec's not that young. So that's a, that's a ridiculous argument. And, and you know what? It doesn't appeal to this, the entire country that's going to no, be voting. It's people just, don't care. No, not at all. Um, they might care. How old is Joe Biden? He's like 174, right? Like he, he's 80 or 81. Well, and then I actually, I was looking this up this morning. So he's in his early eighties. Trump is in his early seventies or sorry, late seventies, but look at the different difference in right. like cognitive ability. Uh, Trump is, is sharp. Uh, and, and then you have Joe Biden who he's, he is, it's, it's sad. We've said it before. Uh, he's just not there. Kind of yeah. like, honestly, kind of like Ronald Reagan at the end of his presidency, right? I mean, Nancy was answering questions for him mm. and things like that. It's really sad. To, to me, when I see Biden, um, you know, as of late, it's, it's just sad to me that people around him are using him that way, especially his wife. Yeah. I mean, the guy clearly is not 
uh, mentally okay anymore, cognitive. And that's not a slight on him personally. That that no. happens to everybody. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that the Democrats are using him to push their progressive Marxism is just, it's really sick. They've turned him into a victim in the White House. And it's, it's very embarrassing nationally as the world sort of laughs at us over that. All right. Well, let's, let's move on from that uh, debate over to, uh, or were you going to show the Tucker Trump yeah, discussion you, during this section? To? Do you want to? Yeah. He, uh, Tucker asked two interesting questions. For the first one we'll show is okay. uh, on whether or not Trump thinks that the left is going to kill him after they've tried to protest him and that didn't work, impeach him, didn't work, indict, indict him. Uh, and then the second one is the question on the Civil War. So let's uh, get this pulled up real quick. Run play. So, so the reason I'm asking you is I'm looking at the trajectory since 2015 when you got into politics, yeah. you know, for real, and then won. Uh, there, it started with protests against you, massive protests, right. organized protests by the left, and then it moved to impeachment twice, right? And now indictment. I mean, the next stage is is violence. Is are you worried that they're going to try and kill you? Why wouldn't they try and kill you? Honestly, uh, they're savage animals. They are people that are sick, really sick. You have great people in the Democrat party. You have great people that are Democrats. Most yeah. of the people in our country are fantastic. And I'm representing everybody. I'm not just Republicans or conservatives. Right. I represent everybody. I'm the president of everybody. But I've seen what they do. I've seen the lengths that they go to when they make up the Russia, Russia, Russia. When that's exposed and they go down and Barr should have gone after them and other people should have gone after. And so they did very here here. You know, regardless of um, how, you know, Trump or Tucker come off to people. Let's look at the core of what they're saying. And it's very hard to deny a, a rational perspective. It's just common sense here. You can look at the escalation that Tucker's referring to, right? I mean, nothing that they've thrown at Donald Trump has ever worked. Nothing. And it's amazing to me that the like savage Trump deranged left doesn't learn each time there's a new, um, each time there's a new accusation or issue, they all act like it's totally serious. When, when look, they've done investigation after investigation, over $60 million spent. Nothing ever comes of it. They, they indict, they try to impeach him twice. Nothing came of it. They indict him. This is the fourth indictment. Nothing's going to come of it. It's always based on lies. And what Tucker's referring to is absolutely true. They're escalating with each level. And like, what else is left, right? We're at a very, very bad time in history when the Democrats are arresting their political opponents, right? Tucker asked him later if he thinks that we're going to end up in a civil war. I don't understand what the left expects. What do they think they're doing, right? Uh, one of the most powerful testimonies in regard to what's occurring with Trump and that indictment, I think, came from uh, the guy who represented um, uh, Al Gore in the Bush-Gore election. I forget his name. Um, he's on the news all the time. He was his legal representation. I'm sure you can look it up. But he was on the news the other day commenting about Trump's indictment and basically said, like, he's not necessarily a Trump fan and he wasn't a Bush fan. He he represented Al Gore in their case against the election. And they believed that Bush stole the election from Gore. That's what he was saying. And basically he's looking at Trump and he goes, we didn't do anything different. We're, we, they did exactly what Donald Trump's lawyers did. And uh, did you find his name? No, not yet. 
Oh, here, I can Google it. If you just Google who represented Al Gore, it should show up. Yeah, except for it showed me a couple different people. Well, my point is that they've clearly not done anything different at all. And so if that's the case, then there's clear uh, discrimination and um, what, what appears to be illegal, unconstitutional actions on behalf of the Democrats when they do exactly what they've accused Trump of doing. So just for those who may not know, the meat of this issue is Donald Trump didn't agree with the results of the election. And there was a variety of reasons for that. People came to him, including lawyers, and presented him with evidence. I just listened to the entire uh, phone call, which a lot of this Georgia indictment is based off of. You can go listen to it online. There's audio and then there's a transcript of it below where Trump and his team calls Georgia and they're talking about you know, um, the results of the election in Georgia and the indictment actually lies. It says they, they quote him as saying, find me 11,800 or whatever the number was votes. Well, he never actually says that what he repeatedly says is that's the difference in votes. And then he presents all this, uh, all these questions as to why, those votes were not accounted for the five plus thousand dead people that they alleged voting the 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 fact that people were coming to him and telling him that the dominion voting machines were being altered that they were erasing data all this stuff and basically the response from everybody was oh we we, we don't really know oh that didn't happen that doesn't match our data and then trump's team goes well show us the data and they're like oh well, we can't do that uh, there was thousands and thousands of people that had moved out of state, which then showed up also as voting. And obviously, this is this is the problem with ballot harvesting and, and mail-in votes, is that there's no accountability over these ballots. You can stuff them in a mailbox, and when they're counted, it's just Democrat or Republican. There's no information as to who the person is after the fact when they're counted. So it's very easy to stuff them. And then on the phone call as well, Trump talks about that that um, video surveillance footage, right, when they're counting ballots and that group of people comes in and pulls suitcases out from under a table, when they, they said that the building flooded, okay? Everybody leaves the building, and then these people come in and pull suitcases out that were full of boxes, and then all of a sudden, Biden jumps thousands of points, votes. So all, all of this is very typical, very normal in U.S. elections for one of the candidates to challenge it and he didn't agree and they were alleging that there was fraud and basically everybody was like no nah, oh well there's there's no fraud don't worry about it isn't it interesting that the, the the county that he's being indicted in is the same county that was focused on in 2000 meals oh absolutely absolutely it's the same thing they did with the russia thing it's like oh look over here let's blame trump for this well and the real problem is when your political enemies have weaponized all of the bureaucracies that normally represent accountability in this country, you're, you're kind of like, you're done. Yeah. You're toast. I mean, you can't trust the FBI, right? You have Peter Strozak and his lover in text messages discussing that they had an insurance policy in case Trump was elected. Those are high level people in the department that are in charge of investigating. How about the guy who was leading the investigation into the alleged Trump collusion thing with Russia the lead investigator gets arrested for spying for Russia. Yeah. Guys, how is that not in the news everywhere? All the while, uh, the Bidens are being paid by Russia and China uh, millions of dollars. Uh, China is paying, you know, University of Pennsylvania 
and then you know all of a sudden now Biden's getting the money. It's like, come on, guys. Right. They're and doing the same thing in Georgia. It's they're trying to distract you from what's really going on, which is the fact that there was fraud, much like. They were trying to say that Trump was colluding with Russia when, in fact, they are. Well, and since when is free speech now punishable by jail time? Because the really core, I read the indictment or part of the indictment today just before starting the show. And one of their allegations is that the lawyers um, lied about the results of the election. And I'm like, what do you mean? That's that's called a counter argument. Like you have two people that disagree. And basically what the Democrats have done is they've criminalized anyone disagreeing with them. If if I say, I think I won the election, and the other guy says, no, I think I won, and then that guy arrests me for saying, I think I won. I mean, yeah. that's basically what you have happening. It's insane. And they're, they're gravely underestimating the American people here because Americans are watching this, and people are freaking out at the weaponization uh, that these socialists are – I mean – who is driving this train? I don't know, but it's well, not. Yeah, if they're going to come not after gonna Donald well. Trump. Who, who's to say they're not going to come after normal people like me and you? Absolutely. And then you, you know, they're they're like tone deaf to the culture and the sentiment. Like like this guy, uh, Rich Men North of Richmond song, right? Which is at the top of Apple charts right now. Just a dude in some farm town with a sing, guitar, si with a guitar, singing about his frustration with the government, and millions and millions of Americans love it, relate to it, and I'm talking about across the spectrum. White people, black people, Hispanic people, people of all backgrounds, genders, everything are relating to this farm guy who's singing about his frustration with these rich politicians in D.C. And yet all leftist like sort of talking points out there in, in, on social media and in the mainstream media are like, oh, it's a it's a racist dog whistle. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They are ostracizing themselves from the American people. And this is why that's dangerous, because. When the government takes that final step of placing themselves above the people in a constitutional republic, um, that's the last step before conflict. We, we've seen this in Canada, who is now full-blown communist, right? They arrest Christians. They arrest people who speak out. They've, taken, they've completely disarmed Canadian people. They did long guns a long time ago. Now Canadians can't have pistols. You have... Justin Trudeau, as we um, talked about before on the news this week, uh, on, on Canadian national television, asking moms to leave the room so he can talk to their kids alone for a minute. Absolutely not. Can you believe that? But, but that's, 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 what we're, that's what we're heading towards. We're, the Democrats here are clearly uh, you know, the same ideological alignment with Justin Trudeau. They want to do that, except for we have this little thing called the Constitution, and it's, it's annoying to them. It keeps getting in their way. And so... Like Tucker pointed out in his interview with Trump, they've escalated and escalated and escalated this to the point where that's what Tucker asked. What's left for them to do? Are they going to kill you? I mean, that's what he asked him in the interview. I mean, they try to impeach. They try to accuse you of espionage and collusion. They tried to put you in jail for the rest of your life. This one's not going to work just like all the other attempts didn't work. So what's left after trying to imprison you for life? Yeah. The only thing left to do is to kill you or let you run. And, and what's going to happen if he wins? They're going to burn our country down like they did last time. We've reached an untenable part with these psychotic leftists. Um, let's move on to the next topic or we'll never get to it. But again, a lot of this is fresh. Trump's going in today uh, to turn himself in in Georgia. So we'll, we'll be following, as I'm sure all of our listeners will as well. Um, but let's, let's move on and, and we'll circle back to that if possible. Yeah, so let's get into the uh, political article on, on Bill Saylor. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, Bill's a friend of ours, as many of you know, we, um, he uh, sent me this article and it was really interesting. Uh, if you get a chance, definitely go read it. It's a Politico article. Um, just look up Bill Asaley, California Assemblyman, and Politico, and I'm sure you'll find it. But It's the one titled, The GOP School Board's Making California Dems Red in the Face. That's it. Yeah. So there's, there's actually a bunch of talking points on there, but just on his part, it was really interesting. Um, you know, you and I were at the school board meeting this week in Temecula, yeah. so I thought this was interesting. It's, it's kind of a hit piece on Republicans capitalizing on culture war issues. They tried to put a negative spin, but it's actually really smart because it's exactly what we've been saying for months that the GOP who seemingly has abandoned these culture war issues as irrelevant um, is doing the exact opposite of the left who is capitalizing and driving these culture war issues. That's how they win elections. And so essentially Politico is pointing out that because uh, Republicans don't get too far in a supermajority up in Sacramento in the Capitol, that they've now began to focus on local elections like school boards and it's catching on like wildfire. Uh, the irony of, of them sort of attacking politicians for getting involved with local, local school boards is that the left is driving the cultural change in this country. So what they really are saying is we don't like that you're messing with our strategy. You know, um, there's a quote from uh, the article that I wanted to read on the culture war. And it said, the pandemic showed lawmakers that not only can you get involved in polarizing issues, but you can capitalize on them. Here's, here's my translation to that politi Politico speak. People respond to things they care about. That's what that means. It means that people, as we've seen with Vivek in the debate last night, as I saw when I ran for Congress out here, people respond to real talk, real life. People of America are sick and tired of politicians and their banter. When you get up there and you talk like a real person about kitchen table issues and people respond. And that's exactly what's happening with these school boards. I believe the Rasmussen poll in California showed 84% plus in favor of parental rights here in the state of California. One from New Jersey recently polled them at 81%. This is a across the board. It's, it's dead as far as Democrats are concerned because parents are kicking back on that sort of Marxist approach of separating children from parents. Absolutely yeah. insane. I mean, like you said, we went to the meeting and you, you don't even need to sit there for two minutes before you can just see the spiritual warfare before you. Absolutely. I mean, these leftist Marxists, some of it's really sad. You know, it's easy to get angry about it and think these people are, are whack. But uh, remember the, the fourth grade girl that his mom sent her up there to speak oh, so sad. at a public school board meeting? Like really disrespectfully too. Like, and she's speaking, she's in fourth grade speaking to these professionals uh, like they're her peers. It's like... I think they said she was 10 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was super, super sad. And she's got her equality shirt on. Like, she couldn't even give the de definition of equality, let alone uh, have the authority to go up there and speak. It's just... it's They're not brainwashing the, them. It's not the place for children. You notice conservatives or Christians, like, very rarely have I seen... Uh, that side of the spectrum bring children in to speak or anything like that. It's always, always, always the left that is bringing their children as like this sort of like uh, emotional response. It's like it's it's sickening. It doesn't make me feel well. They're for abusing you. them is what they're yeah, doing. And abuse. and the truth is that when those kids grow up, hopefully many of them will turn away from those false ideals because 
what they encounter is that reality hits you in the face, right? So you grow up, you get out into the real world and you realize that the left's values and messaging doesn't coincide with reality. It falls short. This is why, and this is horribly, horribly sad. This is why we have such high numbers of suicide rates amongst transgender people, as uh, you know, was pointed out in this meeting we went to. And the data they often skip is that this is post-gender uh, surgery. Yeah. So it, it's not that there's a lack of acceptance or not access to mutilating their bodies. It's that reality kicks in and they're unsatisfied that there is no true gender transition. You're always just a male or female who has mutilated themselves and they live with lifelong problems because of it. We saw some really interesting speakers at, at the school board meeting, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, it, Bill uh, basically up there is doing a good job at sort of um, punching back and finding a way to be relevant uh, in a supermajority Democrat state, go read it. It's very interesting, um, and uh, you know we hope that he keeps driving that train. W- one thing I thought was interesting is they said that he's latched on to this parental movement, and I'm like, no, he didn't latch on. He's driving it. Yeah, like, he, he he wrote he, legislation. He on drafted it. the legislation yeah. that now they're using because he knows that he, they're not going to be able to get anything done in Sacramento. So he's literally going school board school board by school board to make these changes. It's like, come on. They hate him too, right? They call him a racist and, and everything else. And it's like, the dude's a, a, a Muslim. It's like, come on. Like, uh, he's not a white supremacist. I know. Well, you know what? We should just, we were going to talk about uh, the church that got sued, but let's, let's just go down to Temecula school board. Since we're talking about the same thing, that's what Bill Asaley is talking about as well in the article. And then we'll come back up to uh, the church getting sued. Um, so we were at, the Temecula Valley Unified School District board meeting this week. Yeah. Uh, waited seven and a half hours approximately to speak. Yeah, we got um, there at 4 p.m. and you didn't speak until probably 11.45. Or after midnight. Yeah, because they, they voted at almost 1 a.m. to pass the bill. So we show up. There's hundreds of people there. Um, we get inside. And, well, let's talk, um, about, let's talk about first the, the kind of like foul play that happened beforehand, right, with – you're supposed to show up at 4.30. We'll, we'll give our opinion on that. I don't have facts or data, so I'm not going to claim for sure, but let's tell them exactly what we do know, that there was a published schedule for this meeting online, yeah. that public access would be at 5.30, or that's when it would begin, and that if you wanted to show up and get a chance to give public comment, you should show up at 4.30. Yeah. So we showed up at 4 o'clock, and out of 200 tickets, we were number 126 is the number that I had. Which was the first red flag. So we get there and we're like, what do you mean there's no tickets left? You, you gave hundreds of tickets away already? And it's before even the time that was announced to show up. So this happened to a lot of people. There was a lot of grumbling. People were asking, by the way, on both sides. Yeah. And um, somebody goes up to like the lead security guard. I think, I don't know who they were. And this person says, oh yeah, well, the superintendent told me it was a safety issue around three o'clock and we should just start letting people in. So I gave Which them tickets. was confirmed and alluded to by a couple of the board members when people brought it up in public comment. They were kind of looking over the superintendent like, yeah, really? Right. So just like Trump's dealing with all these subversive efforts and sabotage in D.C., this is the Democrat playbook because apparently there's a 3-2 majority on this school board in the city in Temecula and they obviously have to work with people across the aisle, but those people clearly cannot be trusted. Here's uh, what happened, and, and I know that you don't want to say for sure, but I, I'm pretty confident. Go ahead. I mean, if, if you go back and you watch the, the, the school board meeting, the first uh, 
20, 25 people to speak were all extreme leftists. Yeah. And that's the first 25 people in the room. So what happened was somewhere, I, I assume, I won't say for sure, but I, I'm pretty positive, at some point they decided that all of their people were there and that they were going to start giving out tickets uh, because the, the, our side had not showed up yet because, of course, we're following the rules. We get there at 4.30, 4 o'clock for us to get there early. Um, and it was, it was very one-sided in the beginning. All of, all of the activists, there was a transgender activist from, uh, that had nothing to do with, with Temecula or the school board that came and spoke. I, I mean, he was like, uh, yeah, that guy was from, what's his thing called? It's called a sex ranch. Yeah. It's called like Savage Ranch and it's like a trans, literally a transgender sex ranch in proving exactly our point uh, as to why parents want to know what's going on. <laughs> Cause that's the person that came to speak yeah. on behalf of the left's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was re- really grotesque. But anyways, the point is the majority of the people that spoke for like the first hour were these leftists. So it's like I, I could understand the argument if it's like, you know, one person for speaks, one por- person against or a combination thereof. You could be like, OK, maybe we just we missed a memo and we were late. Uh, but the fact that it was very clearly steered to one side for like the first hour of public comment um, goes to show you what actually happened. And, and these people were uh, personally attacking the school board members in their public comments, talking about their children. Oh, it's disgusting. Past divorces. It's like, what? Remember, remember the lady who was like personally berating Jen Wiersma, Danny Gonzalez and Joseph yeah. uh, Kamransky, like talking like Jen in particular, this lady got, gets up to the microphone and talks about her appearance, her clothing that she yeah. gets it from the garbage. I mean, really insidious. I, what's crazy too, is that not only did they speak before anyone had a chance to support the conservative perspective, but many of those people like that lady spoke probably five or six times up to the microphone before I ever had a chance to give a minute and 30 seconds of comments. They got two minutes, five times. Yeah. These people are so emotional. Let's, let's be clear what they were voting on. If you don't know, right. They were voting on this parental notification, which does a couple of things. First and foremost, it, uh, if your child, uh, of any, any age in public school decides that, uh, you know, Johnny wants to now be Sally, that you as a parent have a right to know that they, a want to change their name and, and B want to change their pronouns. And then it does a couple of other things too. If your child gets injured at a, at a school sanctioned event or sporting event, uh, you know, they have to tell you like, who doesn't want to know these things? And the the less argument was that it's going to endanger children. And it's like, okay, so we're going to, again, talk about the 1% of the 1%. Uh, there's no doubt out there that there's abusive parents, but those parents are going to be abusive, whether or not, whether or not your kid is transgender. It has nothing to do with that. It's a moot point. It's a fallacy. It's just like they say with abortion all the time. Well, what about the, the girl that gets raped? And it's like, okay, well, we're talking about the 1% of the 1% and you're going to base your argument off that. No. I mean, the, the, the truth is that we're irritating them because we're getting in the way of their Marxist sexual agenda. Yeah, we're, we're, we're right. using their game plan. Absolutely. And, and not even that drastically. Like, uh, all we're saying is, yeah, parents should probably know what's going on. This, yeah. is, this, is a, this, is not a, this is a bipartisan, common sense perspective that parents want to know what's going on with their kids. I mean, the government usurping the parents' role is a playbook right out of the Communist Manifesto. And I'm going to explain why. So to truly understand the, the modern war on the core family, which is really this, this is what this parental notification thing is about, 
because schools want to separate your children from you as a parent and establish themselves as a safe place, right? How many times did we hear that? They're replacing the core family. And in order to really understand that, you really do have to grasp the worldview that Karl Marx and the co-author of the Communist Manifesto, named Friedrich Engels, they explained that the abolition of the core family, mainly the separation of kids from their parents, um, was essential to their advancement of anti-Western goals. Now that's, that's important, because listen to what I'm saying. These people in power could care less about children who are being horribly mutilated, who, by the way, clearly, as we saw at that board meeting, have major mental health issues. Absolutely. And they don't care about that. But uh, it's about accomplishing a political agenda. Karl Marx wrote that the family was a mere money relation. That's what the manifesto says. And that the party must usurp the parents' role in rearing the children. It was actually the Soviet Union's first uh, people's commissar for welfare. It was uh, Alexandra Kolontai in 1917 that wrote this. And I quote, the old family, narrow and petty where the parents quarrel and are only interested in their own offspring, yeah, is not capable of educating the, quote, new person. Uh, Mike Gonzalez, who's a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, wrote about that in particular, that Engels, that was Karl Marx's partner, particularly was at war with what he called the patriarchal family because he believed, wrongly, that it had introduced the concept of individual private property, which <laughs> Marxists hate. Hate, yeah. So, so herein lies the political angle, which we see disguised as, quote-unquote, education in these public schools. The core family promotes individual freedom, whereas the progressive's goal is deification of the state and the government, and thus the family has to be opposed. Now, if you read Kolontai's opinion in its entirety, you can see that the focus was never moral or social justice or about the safety of kids. It was strictly political. It served its greatest purpose in the political change that separating kids from their parents presented. It, it, that's what this parental uh, notification is all about. And you know what? If you, there's, you want proof, look at the Democrats' response to parents' concern around the country. It has been violent. They have used the power of Department of Homeland Security and other agencies to investigate and label parents who want to know about our children as domestic terrorists quoting that they are a threat and that this is white supremacy and they're lobbying all these. I mean, this is what I tell my GOP friends that don't want to be involved in the culture war. If you yeah. want proof that it's important, look no further than the left's dedication to attack the culture war issues anytime they're brought up. Yeah, they're coming for your children. This is like, I mean, what it, is more important than our children? Absolutely nothing. But that's what it's really about, right? So you go to these school board meetings and you have all of these like trans activists and angry liberals who are just, it's so over their head. What's actually happening. They're, they're pawns. It's like Stalin said, right? The useful idiots in America who unwittingly supported the Soviets goals. These people don't understand that the Democrats make use of marginalized people. They manipulate them and use them to advance their political agenda. They yeah. do this with every issue. They do it with gun violence. They stand on the bodies of dead, innocent people to advance their Marxist political goals. They don't care about safety. Gavin Newsom gets on there and talks about gun violence on his Twitter X now page all the time. California is a cesspool of crime and violence and homelessness and drug use and human trafficking. But he goes on there and he pontificates about safety. 
When really all you have to do is take a step back, look at where these people were educated, where they come from and say, ah, they're accomplishing a political goal. It's really about anti-capitalism. In, yeah. in, in other words, let me just spell it out. It's anti-American. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's why, you know, we're anti-biblical. Absolutely. Yeah. And so good point. Why should Christians care? Right? Because as a believer, God has placed you in a country that allows you a free vote, a free involvement in civics. And this escalation that we're seeing, it ends in persecution of the church. It ends in the enemy opposing the gospel and the spread of a ministry and the free practice of our faith. So far be it from you as a Christian to think that these things don't care, that they're not quintessential to our existence as a nation. Because what greater way, as we've said before, to love your neighbor than to care about them and to vote when you have the opportunity to. We've pointed out before, do you not think that persecuted Christians in India being killed just for being Christians would, if given the chance to vote, would change that? Or Christians in North Korea or Christians in China? Most places, yeah. Africa, I mean. Where Christians are being slaughtered for their faith. Here we live in a free society as of today, and you have the ability to, to stop some of this stuff by your involvement. To throw up your hands and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's, it's an egregious sin. It's so wrong to not care. And here's the truth. People all over the world are looking at this. They're seeing this and they're confused. And as a believer, what's the first thing you do? You look to your pastor. And if your pastor is silent on the issues going on in this culture, where do they turn to? They turn to Instagram and Facebook and social media and political pundits. Shouldn't, shouldn't the wisdom and discernment be coming from the pulpit? Christians have to rightly divide reality through the lens of the word. That's a proper Christian worldview. So, so to ignore these aspects is to not tend to your flock. Uh, if, if, if they're not getting that guidance from the church, they're going to turn somewhere else as things escalate. And then we're going to get to the point where, as we're going to go into now, where the, the target really is you. Because if the core family is an impediment to leftism, well, where do the concepts of core family come in this country other than Christian Judaic? They come from the Bible. Yeah. So it's a clear next step to go after Christians and the church. Notice how you don't hear news stories about Buddhists getting arrested in Canada. It's always pastors. Yeah. You, you don't hear about uh, strip clubs being sued down, in, yeah. in, in, in California during COVID. No, they were churches. open. They were actually open. So, so let's move into the last segment here because it segues right into that. Santa Clara County, California. It, uh, well, first, they sued Calvary Chapel, San Jose. That's Pastor Mike McClure up there. Great teacher. They sued them for $1.2 million for violating the county's mask rule, right? Something that, by the way, no elected official passed. It was not a bill. It was just made up by these communists here in California for refusing to stop services at the church, at the Calvary Chapel there during the pandemic propaganda years. And despite many of the measures now proven to have been a complete and utter waste of time, how the mask really did nothing, and it didn't matter, and everybody got COVID anyways, and how the vaccines are causing injuries to people. All, all of this stuff is now out now, right? Everybody's saying it. Mainstream media, left and right. The government in Santa Clara still insisted on punitive measures to prove that they are, in fact, the bullies on the block. So now, uh, today in the news, we saw Pastor Mike McClure. The church is responding with a $1.2 million lawsuit, saying that Santa Clara County and a Colorado-based company called SafeGraph, and I'll come back to them in a minute, 
illegally spied on them, uh, making use of geofencing to track congregants coming and going in and out of the church. Um, <laughs> California acting exactly like their fellow Marxist Democrats around the country, as you see, using the power of bureaucracy and law enforcement to arrest and financially harass their political opponents. That's exactly what happened here. It's the same thing they're doing to Trump, right? They don't like that he says the election wasn't fair, so they're arresting him and they're trying to silence him and jail him. Historically, that doesn't work out too well when you make martyrs of people. But here in California, you have folks at the health department and others in Santa Clara County who sue. Can you imagine suing a church in your community? A church for $1.2 million well, and what because they wanted do? to worship God? Yeah, what is that going to do for you? I mean, well, that's why I said it's, it's punitive. Just a, it's just a tax at this point. So now they're suing back, saying that they use geofencing to track congregants coming in and out. So if you don't know, geofencing is um, a way of monitoring a particular geographic area for people coming and going. And there's a variety of ways uh, or things that you can do with geofencing. You can track movement of people based on cell phone data. That's what they did in 2000 Mules. Absolutely. Uh, you can also track um, like social media. So, for example, if you could draw a circle in, a, in you know, geofence software around a particular neighborhood and you could keyword like, I want to know every time someone in that circle says the word gun or robbery and it'll ping you. And so you're able to then find out who's saying what and where, okay? That's what geofencing does. And there's a lot of applications and different ways to use it. So it turns out that during court proceedings, the county presented geofence data against the church as I, I'm assuming, I haven't read uh, the transcript, but that would be, I'm assuming, to prove that people were still going to church, right? During when the county told them to stop being Christians. Um. Very Orwellian type oppression against free practice of religion. It's insane. Here's a quote from the case. Um, this type, and this is from the church's defense. This type of expansive geofencing operation is not only an invasion of privacy, but represents a terrifying precedent if allowed to go unaddressed. As it stands, the defendants are effectively arguing that as long as they call it research, any level of government can target and spy on an individual or group like a church at any time for any duration. And if they choose, they can wield that collected data against said individuals or groups who oppose their orders. This is not just un-American. It's downright Orwellian, end quote. Of course, I agree with that. Now, SafeGraph, the company that does the geofencing, also put out a statement they say that the government in Santa Clara used their data without permission during the court proceedings after the investigation was complete, alluding to historical data on geographical areas. According to this statement from the company, SafeGraph uh, provided to Fox News Digital, and this is from the company, and I quote, the expert witness that used the SafeGraph data on behalf of Santa Clara County did so against SafeGraph's terms of service and in direct violation of the strict non-commercial research agreement under which the data was provided. So they immediately are distancing themselves from, from the government action. Um, let's just call this what it is. We believe that we have uh, freedom in this country, freedom to practice, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. The Democrats clearly and increasingly do not. It's black and white. Yeah. And as is the case on the national level and the local level, Democrats feel like the Constitution is in their way and that as long as they're in power, they can do whatever they want. 
during the pandemic propaganda years, people had no idea what they were doing, right? There, were, there really wasn't good data on anything. We didn't know what the vaccines would do. Um, now, you know, all this info comes out about how damaging they are and all these people having heart attacks and blood clots. Same thing with the masks, right? You had, you had people started up. I know, which is insane. You had people wearing masks made of nothing, right? So this, this, all this was very confusing. Yeah. People, people got COVID anyways. And during that time they tried to use, well, we know they used it for a lot. They used it to win an election too. I believe that's my opinion. Don't sue me, Georgia. (laughs) But they also used it to close what they viewed as opposition in places like churches. And uh, remember, it was during a very hot election year that they did this. And so some churches, as is our obligation and duty before God to resist tyranny that opposes God's law first. Another, what am I saying? So what I'm saying is as a Christian, you have an obligation to be obedient to God. So we are obedient and subservient to the powers that be up until a certain point. When the government then like tells you, deny Christ, that's when you have to say no. That's called civil disobedience. And many churches around the country, but especially here in California, had to disobey and say, we have an obligation to continue our service to God before Gavin Newsom or the county of Santa Clara. And so they did. And so in oppression of our freedom of religion, they arrested people around the country. They forced closed places. They canceled bank accounts. They... um, sued churches, as in the case here in Calvary Chapel, San Jose, and good on the pastors who stood against them, right? Well, because there were a lot who kind of just went with the flow, right? And then tried to justify it with uh, the book of Romans. There was an excerpt there or something. Yeah. A a lot of times people quoted, you know, that we are to uh, fall under the governing authorities, et cetera, but they, they fail to understand, as we've clarified before, that the governing authorities in a country like America includes the people because that's what a constitutional republic is and that that constitution overrides mob rule. And so regardless of whether, you know, enough Democrats stuff ballots and get into positions of power and then order you to stop being a Christian. So you just, is that what Romans is indicating that you're supposed to stop being a Christian? It doesn't that's make what any they're sense. trying to say. Exactly. So hopefully this goes well. Um, it'd be cool to get pastor Mike on here at some point and talk about it, but I'm sure he's busy in, in, in the middle of all this, but they're counter suing now saying that there was this egregious violation of their First Amendment and the Fourth Amendment as they monitored and spied on them without warrant to do so. And uh, honestly, they'll probably win because all of these threats to lawsuits in California, all they hope really from people, we see this at the school board level as well. So you back down. They hope that you back down because if you keep pushing and it goes to the Supreme Court, it'll never get anywhere. It was funny just to back up for a minute to the school board meeting in Temecula, how people complained about the uh, lawsuits they were facing and how board members, our board members had said, we're going to, we're going to keep fighting. We're going to take it all the way to the Supreme court. And people were like, Oh, I can't believe you had to waste money. And I was like, that's exactly what they need to do because what you want them to do is cower back in fear yeah. and quit. Because you know, if it gets to the Supreme Court, you're going to lose. Yeah. And a loss at the Supreme Court level lose before that, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, a loss at the Supreme Court level is devastating to the left's agenda. Yeah, you're dead in the water. It well, it wrecks them not only in California but nationally. Yeah. And Scotus makes a decision; it's done. Yeah, and we'll have the and we'll have control of the Supreme Court for decades. So there there will be no turning back for them. 
Well, and that's why indictments against Trump aren't going to go anywhere because it's all going to end up there anyways uh, if it doesn't get tossed. I mean, I don't even see. I, I read the indictment, and um, you know, I, I I I say this all the time, but I came from a, a law enforcement background, having written you know indictments, uh, warrants, and cases many times myself. I, I'm looking at this case against Trump, and it just looks like fluff. There's nothing there. It looks like a desperate attempt from progressive Marxists to jail their political opponents, like the three indictments before it. It's not going to go anywhere. I mean, even CNN is saying that yeah, we played that clip our last episode jake tapper yeah jake tapper was like oh, i don't know about this guys you know yeah. i mean how could you not see how bad this is and then all the information is coming out on the judge down there um which is by the way an increasing problem in this country we're losing impartiality nothing's yeah. fair anymore because you find out the judge that's that's uh running the case in georgia is like a hardcore anti-never trumper who campaigned on him going to jail and how can you have a fair and impartial hearing yeah as a judge you should not be involved politically like at all zero well and obviously that's just not possible because whether you say it in public or not people have brains yeah and and the but problem at the very least you should not be saying it i know but it doesn't matter because you think it and that's what matters it, it it's it's the problem is our system is designed for a moral people right we know yeah. that from the founders and we used to share common Christian Judaic values that brought us together. And we could disagree on economic policies and you know um, military spending or whatever. Yeah. The, the problem we've reached now is that we have an entire political party in this country that's lying to people. They are pushing socialism, which is inherently anti-American, anti-constitutional, and they are acting like true leftists throughout history and, and, and going after their political opponents in very real uh, judicial ways, like arresting the primary candidate for pres for the presidency. It's yeah. insane. Well, and the other problem, too, is we have weak leadership on our side as well. I mean... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No about that, so. Well, I think everybody's afraid to say stuff. You know, Everybody's afraid to ask exactly what Tucker asked in that interview, which is what all people are thinking. thinking. Yeah, I mean, everybody's looking at this, this for months at this point. Yeah. When, when Tucker says, clearly a rational person can see that they're escalating this attacks. Now, you know, indictment didn't work. Now they're going to try to put you in jail for the rest of your life. What's next? That's a, that's a rational conclusion or question. Yeah. And you know, everybody's thinking about it, but I think the, you know, like on the GOP side, it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, are you afraid that they haven't? And we have this conversation all the time. They, they haven't really stepped up and, and really entered this fight yet. This, there's a war going on for the existence and future of America. And if the GOP doesn't get on board soon, they're, they're going to be completely irrelevant. People are fleeing the Republicans by the thousands. Nobody's giving them money anymore. They're tired of their compromises, right? We're putting up candidates that are like pro-abortion and, and uh, you know, for what? They're seeding ground because they think there's this mysterious group of um, undecided voters. No such thing. No such thing. What, here's the truth. There are millions of people who don't even show up to vote because they've abandoned all hopes in politicians. That's yeah, the problem. Because the GOP continually tries to compromise, and in a compromise, you're supposed to get something in return, or at least both sides are supposed to give something up. And they continue to, to compromise, and they're not getting anything for it. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They and, just and lose. The GOP lose. in California is the worst. I mean, it's just like, guys, you should be the strongest party leadership in the country because we are facing – the most, maybe outside of New York, the most adversity 
uh, when it comes to uh, Democrat, Republican, left, right ideologies. And, and the leadership here is just, it's just well, weak. And the problem is they don't know who they are, as no. we've often said. They, they don't know why they're conservatives. They've abandoned the Christian Judaic values that give us our firm foundation. I mean, this country was founded on biblical truths and the fact that God created us and, and gave us these inalienable rights that the government did not give them to us. The government was there to protect those rights. And the GOP has forgotten that. And so people are lost because there's no leadership. They don't know what to do. Yeah. This is, this is um, why you see such a strong response to people like Trump or like Vivek during the debate, because people are looking for leadership. They're looking for people to stand up and say hard no on these issues. And this is, by the way, what happens when the church takes a step back from leadership in this country. Yeah. The world and our opponents convinced the church that they had no place in civic duty. No place in politics, no place in their country. That was not the case for hundreds of years in America. Yeah. And it is now. And because the church is withdrawn, you see God's favor has pulled back. There's no leadership. There's no discernment. There's no wisdom. Yeah. We, if, you, if you want rights given to you from the government, go to Russia and let, tell me how that works. Absolutely. Well, our prayer as, uh, as Americans, but as Christians, is that the church would wake up and that pastors would begin to give people biblical not, not obsessive political speeches. That's not what they need. We need no. the word of God. Yeah. We need people to counter lies when they come out of social movements, right? We need pastors who understand how to rightly divide right from wrong in what's going on to be watchmen. And you don't, you don't have to be, you know, um, I'm not saying that pastors should be politicians. They shouldn't. That's not their role. Their role is to tend to the sheep and teach the word of God. You can do that while not putting your head in the sand. Yeah. Uh, and, and especially providing people servicing the congregation with advice and wisdom and good counsel. Because if you're not getting it there, where are people going to get it from? Yeah. So we see your, this your school counselor that wants you to be a girl when you're a boy, that's where they're going to get it. I know how sad. Yeah. Well, very proud of Temecula Valley school district, as well as Marietta, as well as Chino. Those are all within our sort of and short circle of too, reach. Yeah. Orange is joining. I'm sure more will, will come yeah, soon. It's just going to start a wave of people who, um, you know, are going to stand up. So good on the first couple of school boards that really showed, uh, well, Chino, I mean, very courageous there. So, yeah. And Sonia Shaw and, uh, who's the president of the board there in Chino unified and, uh, Jen Wiersma actually were up in Sacramento at the rally recently, along with pastor Jack Hibbs. Uh, phenomenal, by the way, if you haven't seen that, you can go to, on uh, pastor Jack's Facebook page. That's Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. Look at the live uh, feed. They, uh, they recorded it where they spoke in front of the Capitol. Pastor Jack gave a great talk, and it's a great example to other pastors on how to conduct themselves politically because he doesn't sound like a politician. He sounds like a pastor who cares for people's hearts, mm -hmm. and it was done very well and very biblical, and more people should be doing that. Instead of telling people like, oh, it doesn't matter, and you know, God's in control, so we have no input, it's, it's, that's egregiously unbiblical. You are to work out your faith. You are to be involved and obedient. In fact, how do we even know that we're followers of Jesus? We understand that faith and that it's not a work uh, you know, of ours that gains our salvation. But yet, when, when looking to define what a believe, who a believer is or confirm that, the Bible talks about obedience, that yeah. we are they who obey God's commandments and words. So there's, there's a physical action there and a response and how we do that. Yeah, you can't sit back idly, otherwise you're going to lose your, your country, and, we, and we've seen that. And I'll tell you what, if you've never done it, you want to talk about spiritual darkness, you, you should go to these school board meetings 
and look at the at the garbage that's being levied at our children. It is when dark. you send them to school for eight hours a day or plus. It is really sad. You really care about people. You want to reach the lost. Go go to those meetings and see the marginalized group of people. You know, when I saw the transgender guy get up and and some of the kids that spoke, my heart just broke for them. Yeah. They're so lost. There's so much uh, angst, anxiety, mental health. They were like shaking. I mean, talk about people that need Jesus. How are you going to do that sitting in your cozy pew? You study your Bible and you take your notes. You have no effect on the world around you. What, what, what impact are you having on society and culture? Start showing up to the things that people care about and love on them. There was plenty of opportunity there at these meetings beforehand to engage with people. Yeah, we were all standing around just waiting to be let in for hours. And we have heard story after story after story about people who experienced a great change in their life because somewhere at some point, a Christian came along and told them the hard truth. Many of them have said that they hated it at first, right, when they heard it. But then it ended up that seed was planted and it grew. You got to be in the world, not of the world. Yeah. In the world, not of the world. And the church right now is not in the world at all, and they're kind of acting like the world, but inside their church. And the world is burning around them. It's, uh, it's time for us to wake up. And uh, it's possible. You know, I, I'm not all doom and gloom. I think that if the church got involved in what's going on in the country and started loving people the way Jesus wants them to, we'd see radical change in this yeah. country. Well, and, we've, and we're, we're getting small wins, right? I mean, you have to just keep chipping away, and hopefully, like we said— other school boards will, you know, we can we can watch and see what happens at the at the national level, and we can let you know Joe Biden and Trump, you know, fight over that. But really, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna take back our country by starting at the school boards and the city councils, and then the county supervisors Absolutely. and things like that, because the, clearly they weren't paying attention, right? They didn't think that we could do this. They let the majority of boards, you know, go Republican or or Christian or conservative, whatever you want to call it. Um, and now they're sending the superintendent of public instruction. When's the last time he's been to a, a school board meeting in Chino, California? Or Governor Newsom himself yeah. personally threatening yeah. Temecula Valley School Board. Yeah, they weren't paying attention, and, and uh, you know we were able to take advantage of it. So now there's enough momentum that we need to keep doing this in every school board. Well, and obviously at the end of the day, like you, you, you're not going to answer for everybody else. I mean, regardless of what happens nationally or with the presidency or all this stuff, I mean, what you have to answer for is you, you personally. If you're yeah. a pastor or you're in church leadership, or you're a believer, what are you doing right now amongst the turmoil? While people are drowning in despair, they have no hope. The church is supposed to be a light. Right now, at this time and this age that God has placed you in, the, the need right now in our country, unfortunately for those who don't like it, has a lot to do with politics. And that's an opportunity for us to reach people, to relate, to talk through them. But see, you have to have courage. You have to not be ruled by fear. You have to understand that people are not going to like you. And you have to be willing to speak truth into difficult situations and into people's lives. And if the church isn't doing that, then we're, we're, we're done. We're yeah. dead. Because there's no hope in the Republican Party or any political party. There's no hope in a person. The only hope for this world is the truth as presented by Jesus in the word of God. That's it. And the church is the main conveyor of that message. We are the bride. It has to be done. And we've seen this, unfortunately, as we talked about before in, in Germany, um, you know, guys like Bonhoeffer who urged and begged the church in Germany to get involved in politics that they said, no, 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 that's none of our business. We only want to be spiritual. And, and we all know what happened there. Horrific violence and suffering upon a people that the church has basic, basically excused themselves from being involved in. It's very sad. Obviously, and maybe I need to say this, there is a healthy balance. 
there has to be a balance. We can't lose sight of what really matters, mm-hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, we're, we're, our hope is in eternity. It's not in politics or things like that. So obviously, we each have our calling, right? right? But to wholeheartedly dismiss it as a non-issue is exactly what Satan would want Christians to do in this country. So I, I would say, you know, we, we don't advocate for a particular person uh, or politician as a savior by no means at all. No, absolutely but not. when the world is lying to your children and you have the truth and you hold it, you hide it under a bushel, as the song said, well, what does that, what does that make you? You know, are we hiding our talents as the servant in the parable when the master returned and found that he had buried it in the ground? I know we say that all the time, but it's like, it's really time for the church to examine themselves and, and, and see what, you know, this is what I would encourage people to do. What can I do? If you're not going to run for school board or be the president or whatever, you should ask yourself, what can you do where you're at? Maybe that involves showing up to a school board meeting or a local, you know, uh, political event or something. Look at what's out there. See the hurt and the need. These people that are not going to be reached if you stay in your church cafeteria with your church music and your church coffee. You got to get out and apply it at some point. That's the whole point. Yeah, there's a lot of people that go to the school board meeting. There's a lot of people that need to be reached and loved on. and and uh, Absolutely. Clearly, this is a mission field now. And, and for years and years, America has sent missionaries all over the world with the message of truth and hope that it's found in Jesus. And we've, uh, right now, I think, not everybody, but many have overlooked the fact that we're, we're in the middle of a, of a war in this country for our children, for our existence, for our future. This is a mission field right now. We need people engaged with what's going on to counter the narrative. Because, you know, the bottom line is you have little kids, nine, 10 years old, like we saw at the meeting, who are being fed this propaganda, these lies about eternity. Like, like people on our social media, right? I, I posted, a, um, I was able to speak at that board meeting. We posted it online. It got, you know, thousands and thousands of views. And people on there, immediately, their first comment is, there is no God. That's what someone commented. And, you know, to the, to the church, I would say, this is so much more spiritual than you think. Yeah. The enemy does not want you involved in what's going on. Because as long as the church is quiet and they stay out of what's politics, when it's really not, but they stay out of it, then the devil gets to lie to your kids. And he gets to tell them whatever they want. And they believe that because they're not hearing the truth from any other perspective. And you know what? You're going to get called all kinds of names. They call you Christian nationalist and you know racist and on and on and on and on. It's like, since when has Christianity been you know, lovingly accepted by all. Never, never, (laughs) never. It's not your job to worry about that. It's just to get out there and love on people. So of course, delivery is important. I don't think we should be rude. I don't think the Bible is really clear that if you say all these things and do all these things, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but if you, if you, if you can have all these gifts and speak, and if you do it without love, you're like a clanging cymbal, resounding gong. You're just noise. So it's very important to not forget, but that doesn't mean that we shy away from speaking truth. You have to speak truth. Yep. I think that's about all we have for today. Defining truth. No compromise. No compromise. Um, we'll catch you guys on the next one. We'll be following up with everything going on in the world. And uh, we'll see you then.